0: This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton.
1: This is Knowledge at Wharton, and you're listening to Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Deaths from drug overdoses have now surpassed those from car crashes or from gun violence. That's according to a recent report from the Centers for Disease Control. The rise in fatalities is being attributed to an increase in the number of Americans using opioids and drugs that are becoming more deadly. The question of what to do about this is a difficult one. The CDC is pushing to stop illegal sales of opioids on websites. Some cities, like here in Philadelphia, are working to set up safe injection sites, even as the Justice Department says that they will crack down on them. Still, there are other states that are suing drug companies at this point. Lots to discuss over the next uh, 25 minutes or so. And joining us to do that are Dr. Anita Gupta, who's a scholar at Georgetown University School of Medicine in the clinical bioethics department. And she's also been an advisor to the FDA. And also Dr. Evan Anderson, who's a senior fellow at the University of Pennsylvania Center for Public Health Initiatives. And he's also a senior lecturer at the University of Pennsylvania School of Nursing. Anita, great seeing you again. Evan, great to have you joining us here in the studio. Thanks for having me. I, I, this is amazing that, I mean, we have talked with, with both of you over the course of, of the last few years about the fact that this is a significant problem. We talk about the fact that it needs to be addressed. There obviously is a lot of conversation going on, but the number of deaths shows that not enough is being done at this point.
0: That's right. And, you know, it's alarming. Uh, I'll say that right away. And, and you know, we have talked over the years. And, you You know, right here in Philadelphia, the situation is evolving. And over the years that we have spoken, what is striking to me is how much it has evolved, you know, from the fact that we were dealing with you know, just prescription drug opioids. A few years ago, that was the conversation and how we could have addressed this with, you know, just restricting, you know, safe use of just medications and how we could have just addressed this with, you know, just giving medications safely. And now how we're talking about now fentanyl and how now fentanyl is now being mixed with illicit Heroin and and how we're talking about how to control synthetic uh, opioids in the streets and how the numbers from the CDC have now just only increased yeah. uh, to seventy two thousand drug overdoses, which we had thought you know in the United States we were going to go down from last year. Um, these these are evolving numbers. These are alarming numbers um, for the United States, and and they're not going down. And it's spiraling up further. Um, and to add to this, the thirty thousand foot view. Uh, The fact is in the United States mortality, uh, you know, being at Princeton University last year, I learned that the mortality in the United States is shifting dramatically. And this may not have anything to do with the opioid crisis, but there's this kind of natural despair uh, that I learned about, uh, an economic crisis that's percolating. and, And we have to ask why. Uh, does it have anything to do with this crisis, or mm-hmm. is there something else going on?
1: Evan, what's been your reaction to these latest numbers by the CDC? I,
2: I, well, first of all, I agree, agree entirely. Um, I'd note that there was a 10% increase in overdose mortality in the most recent data, which is pretty, pretty substantial. Um, it's a very complicated picture, for sure. Um, and Anita makes great points that we are experiencing an opioid epidemic, um, which um, is itself complex. But we also have tremendous increases in um, deaths related to cocaine, benzodiazepines, uh, methamphetamines, alcohol, suicide. So we, we are very much dealing with a sort of chemical fentanyl issue. But we're also dealing with this sort of broader idea of deaths of despair, um, which, which is um, challenging. Complicated.
1: I think going back a few months, uh, some people remember President Trump standing at the White House talking about how this was going to be put at the top of, of the list in terms of importance and, and things that need to be addressed. What's not being addressed at this point? I, I mean, certainly there are all kinds of, of different organizations, medical community, insurance, you know, all kinds of different organizations that are looking at these problems. What's not being addressed to
2: to to start to turn the corner here and, and reduce those numbers of deaths, Evan? Um, it's a good question. And, you know, we have an impulse as a country to look for silver bullets. Uh, the frustrating thing with this epidemic is there are many things that are likely to be necessary, but few that are sufficient. Right. So you know we have to do. There, there are really a number of different problems, and we need to work in multiple places. Um, we surely, in my view, need to think more deeply about what the epidemic says about our healthcare system. Yeah. You know, a healthcare system predicated on volume and you know fee for service, as much as we've we've tried to move away from from fee for service. Is always going to create more incidental harm um, when when providers have to move quickly. It's always easier to, to provide a prescription than it is to counsel someone that pain is a natural part of treatment. Um, so there are broader questions that we can think about. Um, surely, um, as Anita says, the, the deaths of despair. You know, I think the fixes there have to do with communities and a sense of social cohesion. People feel alienated. Yeah, um, those are hard issues to solve. Um, so. Um, it's multifactorial and there are lots of different things. Access to treatment would be one area where we just, we need more access to treatment. People need treatment and they, they simply cannot access it. Anita,
0: I think it's, you know, multifactorial. I think there's, you know, transformative measures that need to occur. I mean, one, you know, I think policy. Uh, I think that we need uh, better policy from a broad, you know, layering from various agencies and, and world and, and U.S. Um, Layers. I, I think many, many places where policy needs to be addressed uh, and frameworks that need to be done. And, and that, that needs to be done through innovation. Uh, I think there needs to be better science, um, better evidence on what we can do, uh, you know, to help both from, you know, the, the preemptive treatment side of treating pain all the way out from substance use. Uh, disorders and recovery um, right. you know I think it's a whole spectrum of things that needs to happen
1: but it, I find it interesting and Evan brings up a good point that that here in the United States we think about this as a as a much as a large issue but it really is a, an issue that does take it every from every level from the federal level all the way down to the state and county the city and county level and the coordination I think becomes an increasing area of focus so that you can have everybody on the same page to be able to tackle some of these problems
0: right and that that's the last part of this education i mean we need better education from everyone whether it be a patient providers families caretakers i mean there's there's a lot of education that needs to happen and and i can tell you being kind of on the ground uh, as a physician and you know being a patient myself yeah that there is a lot of education that needs to happen Uh, You know, and and there's a lot of gaps, uh, you know, in care. And and we need to do better. We need to do better.
1: And, and I I mean, I've seen it (laughs) firsthand myself with with friends who, you know, have been going through knee procedures. You know, the the medicine that they are given to help them deal with the pain post-knee replacement or, you know, ACL, whatever it might be, these are things that... Are to a degree, I think, leading to the bigger problem. Are mm-hmm. they not?
2: Um, there's definitely a lot of evidence of that. We we overprescribe. You know, <laughs> right. Your friends probably get thirty day, you know, thirty pills. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They probably only need two or three. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we need we need sort of more nuance. Right. But um, that's an I think understandable product of a system that really privileges speed. Just to say that again. Mm. And um, you know, I think we also have an overutilization problem. Mm. The evidence about knee surgery is maybe not as as positive as some might think. A lot of people have knee surgery and it's probably not therapeutic the evidence mm. suggests. So we, we also tend to um, over-treat. And, and that's a piece of this too. Every time you're intervening you're increasing chance of risk.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's, let's get into a couple of these things and, and one which we've talked on this show in the past. Uh, let's start with safe injection sites. And mm-hmm. this is an idea that really has come about in the last several months. Cities want to set up locations where people that are already dealing with drug issues can have a safe place to inject themselves. Mm -hmm. It's obviously drawing a lot of attention from the legal
2: community of whether or not this is a path that we should go down. Evan, how do you respond? Uh, You know, I've been a proponent of these sites for 10 years. Um, they, um, They can improve the health of individuals and communities. They're particularly though a tailored intervention for people who are um, injecting drugs in public spaces. Um, again, it's not a silver bullet. Most of the people overdosing in Philadelphia are not overdosing in a public encampment. They're overdosing at home. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we it's very controversial for a variety of reasons. But we often lose the sight that this is one really really important tool for communities that are struggling with. Public injection drug use, and for the individuals who are at such high risk when they're injecting outside and in public, um, but it's one of many things that we should that we should
0: do. Anita, look, there's pros and cons to everything, and in Philadelphia, very controversial. Uh, we have to ask, you know, where does it help people and where it doesn't. I mean, for look, for the pros, you know, we have access to safer administration, but uh, but the costs increase for a lot of people. Um, it, it can support. Uh, drug use um, the cost to taxpayers the the use uh, and, and perpetuating um, drug use and and but the fact is um, you can prevent infectious diseases you can you know uh, allow for resources for these individuals who have substance use disorders what the right answer here is as you had just mentioned eloquently I mean we don't know it depends on the communities that, we're dealing with, and it varies what geographic issues are, what the community wishes, uh, and, and you have to look at the constituency and the, the leaders that are in those areas, and every area is going to be very, very discreetly decide.
2: Um, I agree with those points. I would just, I would just note that you know, there is quite a bit of evidence that they're economically efficient, that they save, that they save money, Correct. that you invest $1, you get four back. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, they, um, they're humane. We essentially have these facilities right now. if you If you, you know travel not far from here in North Philadelphia, you'll see public encampments where people are injecting publicly right um, the The idea is that that's a very unhealthy incarnation of something that we could do much, much better, right right And the final point I would say is, you know you made this great point, um Dan, about this being a, a national state and a local issue. You know, We need to work together, but there are also very, very local um, manifestations of this. And localities should be empowered to address the problem as they encounter it, which is different from place to place. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Which then that brings up the legal part of this, because Mm -hmm. obviously we're starting to see the commentary from the DOJ, from the Mm -hmm. Department of Justice, saying that they are going to, you know, obviously they are going to enforce the laws and and go after these Mm -hmm. uh, these locations and. You know, it makes you wonder at times what the reaction, speaking Mm -hmm. going back to local Mm -hmm. is, what the reaction is of local police Mm -hmm. to having these types of sites. They are obviously used in, I think, in years past for people that do inject publicly, of bringing them in, of arresting them, trying to bring them in and and take them through the system. This Mm -hmm. is a different path for law enforcement than Mm -hmm. they've ever gone down before.
0: Look, you know, a great example uh, is the example in Indiana. Uh, where we had safe injection sites um, that was started. There was this cases of HIV that started. Uh, The CDC didn't know why they started there. Jerome Adams, who's the current Surgeon General, against opposition, began to develop, tried to have, he was a commissioner at the time there. He had to figure out why this outbreak was happening. And he took it upon himself in an area where safe injection sites were not permitted to d- develop these safe injection sites. Right. He mitigated this epidemic based on that. And that evidence is very important and relevant now. He's now the Surgeon General. And so there is good evidence that it works and, and very important. Um, and CDC does collect very important information about it.
2: I just want to point out one little nuance about that story. That was actually mm-hmm. syringe exchanges, yes. not not supervised injection right, sites. Right, but syringe, yes. Um, so... Um, but, you know, I think to the to the point of the feds and their opposition and, and um, Rod Rosenstein's mm-hmm. op-ed in the New York Times, which was a sort of clear shot over the bow. Yep. Um, you know, there is a federal law that prohibits having and distributing distributing drug paraphernalia. The federal police don't enforce that right now. Mm-hmm. They yeah. surely could. They could come in and close down Philadelphia's needle exchange, which distributes needles. Right. Mm-hmm. They've chosen not to do that. Right. It's It's not unreasonable that they would choose not to enforce the drug possession laws either and other laws that criminalize you know arguably what is a public health intervention mm-hmm.
1: so then you also have now the CDC directing sites to try and stop illegally selling opioids mm-hmm. how how are they going about this uh, i mean obviously the internet is such a, a massive entity mm-hmm. to begin with how are they going about this a- and what are their
2: what are their beliefs what are their hopes at this point it's a it's a tricky issue and um, the you know it, it's like whack-a-mole in many respects yeah right um, One of the problems with fentanyl is is that a small amount of it packs an enormous punch mm-hmm. so you can send it pretty efficiently through the mail service and um, it's really really difficult to play this inter, you know interdiction um, game and really move the needle I, you know they should surely close down sites that are selling fentanyl. Um, but I'm not sure that that's going to turn the tide necessarily by itself. I mean, it's it's worthwhile, but it's it's probably a small piece. Right.
0: Right. I mean, it, it's it's not easy. I mean, their fentanyl is is one of the only things that we're very concerned about right yeah. now. Uh, but there are other there are other drugs that are out there, and we have to be concerned what else is out there. Yeah. Uh. And and the fact is, it's heroin is also there. There's cocaine. Uh. They're being mixed. Uh. And We don't know how to reverse these overdoses, Uh, and they're prescription medications, too. So, you know, how do we reverse them? Um, And we can't always prevent them. And naloxone, uh, we know uh, many first responders can't always reverse it. Um, For example, in Connecticut recently, uh, you may have heard there was overdoses in a local park right by Yale University. Um, First responders were quick to reverse those overdoses, uh, but you know, they were lucky they were able. They were able to get there very quickly, we have to applaud those first responders that got there very quickly, uh, but that can't always be the case
1: yeah and new england has been an area of focus where a lot of this has been concerned over the years you mm-hmm. mentioned at yale but you know new hampshire vermont those states have been dealing with significant issues and trying to do things at the local level mm-hmm. to be able to try and tackle this mm-hmm. and 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 start to turn the tide a little bit here
0: correct and even in philadelphia i mean there's areas that we have the same issue uh, but these are these are problems that first responders have to deal with on a daily basis, and you know, naloxone is a very important product. But when we are talking about medications and drugs that are fifty, hundred times more potent, I mean, naloxone—how many times can you administer it and expect the re- the desired response? I mean, we have to start asking questions, you know, on what we can do as a society to help these people.
2: Evan. No, I agree. And um, you know, one other feature of um, fentanyl's potency that, that makes it so challenging is that um, it's economically efficient to um, distribute fentanyl instead yeah. of heroin. So it used to be our concern was heroin tainted with fentanyl. We're seeing more and more in many drug markets that it's just now fentanyl, with maybe tainted a little bit with with heroin. Um, the 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 sort of prevailing narrative. Um, out of D.C. is that we should really go after fentanyl traffickers. Yeah, But now the, the distribution of fentanyl is moving all the way down the retail chain. And a lot of people at the lowest level who are often, often drug users themselves are now selling fentanyl. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's really hard to take this hard-on-fentanyl approach while also being sympathetic to to people who are using substances.
1: And and the access to to help is something you mentioned before, but it's an important part to this. I remember having lived in West Virginia for five years, the access to a lot of this for some people that are living in remote areas, and it's the same to a degree even in the state of Ohio and other locations, Kentucky, it's just not there. And, And if you don't have the resources, there's nothing to prevent people from continuing down this path at this point.
0: That's right. I mean, not only are we talking about access, um, but then there's this whole issue of stigma. Uh, Patients don't always, I mean, even if they have access, patients are scared. Uh, they're scared to go in. Uh, they're scared to talk to providers if they believe they have an issue. Uh, and, and, you know, there's stigma associated with having a substance use disorder. There's fear. Uh, so we're talking about a substance use disorder. We're talking about drugs. We're talking about fear of the repercussions to access the healthcare care system. Right. So there's all kinds of, uh, you know, issues related to this. And, you know, so we really have to remember that, When we're dealing with substance use disorders, how can we help these people uh, feel that they can access health care with getting to the right people to to know that there is help to help them?
1: But what about the responsibility of the drug companies at this point? Because obviously they are they are part of this. They're a big part of this. And they are starting to feel more pressure uh, from the government from, you know, on legal perspectives. They. From an outsider's viewpoint, it it does not appear like the drug companies have had much want to be involved in this process at all because it would, to a degree, it would hurt their bottom line. What's
2: the responsibility of the drug companies in your mind, Evan? Um, Well, it's a great question. Uh, I think there have been something like 400 lawsuits or or 400 states and localities have have joined or initiated lawsuits against drug manufacturers. Um, Drug manufacturers could certainly do more. Um, they I think it's it's beyond doubt that they engaged in some um maybe fraudulent marketing. They've there have been settlements around that. Yeah. So, you know, the first thing is being really truthful about the science related to their drugs, right? Um you know, otherwise though and, and, and they should be you know, they should be sanctioned and held accountable for that reason. Um I'm not sure most of the action uh, I'm not sure going after pharmaceutical companies will itself really reverse the epidemic. We have a lot of people who are at this point um, have an addiction to an opiate. You know, as we as we cut off the access to synthetic opiates, people are going to transition to fentanyl and heroin. Yeah. So it's important, but um, you know, it might not be it might not be the overall solution. Anita,
0: I agree. I mean, you know, my thought is, you know, we need to move forward. Uh, you know, I believe that we need solutions. And, you know, I just really believe there's just so much going on on the ground here. I mean, if you look at the numbers from the CDC, I just really think about those lives and those patients. And I really am just concerned about them and uh, just thinking about the individuals that are – overdosing and considering the numbers that the CDC put out every year and that they're rising, you know, worrying about who's at fault at this point is meaningless. Um, we really need to find solutions for these people, um, improve policy, improve the education, and, and find innovations to prevent further uh, further numbers to increase for the future. Because if you consider the fact that the mortality in the United States is changing perhaps from despair or that the economic situation is changing uh, in the United States. The future is not favorable. Right. Uh, and, and we want to change that. Uh, we want to change that and improve that in any way we can right. as a physician. Um, and, 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 and to answer your question, um, we need to, to work with, uh, you know, these industry up individuals to figure out if they did, what did they do? Right. Uh, remember, the drugs that were developed, you know, they, they may have developed for patients who had pain, right? I mean, there's cancer patients out there. There's sure. individuals, as a pain doctor, I've seen patients who have had surgery who have had bad outcomes, yeah. right? And, and that have to live in pain for the rest of their life. How do we help those patients, right? Opioids, as an anesthesiologist, patients need opioids for surgery. Sure, yeah. So opioids are very important drugs. They're very important drugs. So we have to remember uh, that how can we use these drugs safely and responsibly, and that's where education is very important.
2: Evan? No, I, I agree. Um, there's definitely an important role for opioids in clinical care, and we should be careful about, about um, impeding that. You know, I think it's interesting to think about the tobacco litigation as a model. Um, And I think that raises two types of questions. One is legal. The tobacco litigation was successful uh, when the states sued tobacco companies because um, there was insider information. Um, There was sort of, uh, you know, people inside of the tobacco companies provided internal documents that were very explicit that the tobacco companies lied and engaged in false advertising. Yeah. It's not clear to me that that sort of evidence is going to be available in this in this instance. Right. And also legally, there's a there's a you know a learned interme- intermediary. These are prescribed drugs. Yeah. Um, so that's a problem legally. You know the, the the second part is if they succeed, we should think and be very careful watching how the money is spent. The tobacco litigation produced an enormous amount of money that was supposed to go to anti-tobacco causes. Very little of it did. Yeah. Right. So, you know, the effect of litigation hinges to some extent on how the money is used. If only five, 10 percent of it goes towards helping people with a substance abuse disorder and it goes to state budgets or what have you. Yeah. Then it's not going to have that much of an effect. Great having you both with us. Great seeing you. Thanks for coming in. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.